Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is wanting to do two things. He's wanting to build us up and to bless us as his people through this encouragement ministry. But as he does that, he wants it to have an impact on the outside as well. He wants us to transfer from our gatherings. He wants it to reach out to the world toward those who are outside the church. And this is so important at the present time. So important. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, in a message titled, The Barnabas Ethos. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, as uh, some of you who are here consistently, you know that these are the same verses, basically the same verses that we uh, looked at last week, and last week we focused in on uh, the statement that it was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. So I actually want to just back up a little bit today, and I want to focus on this person that has come up over and over again in Scripture, and it's this man named Barnabas. So we're going to be looking at Barnabas today and seeing how he's really, in many ways, he's, he's just a type of what all of us really want to be. But let me just remind you that the church in Antioch, so this is a, a church that is in what we would know today as Syria, and it really became the center for the international mission in many ways. Of course, Jerusalem is where everything started. But as, as time passed, uh, Antioch, in, in many ways, sort of replaced Jerusalem as the center for international mission. It was a, it was a great church. It was a Jesus-centered church. It was a multi-ethnic church, culturally diverse, grace-filled, Bible-based, gospel-driven, mission-minded. It was kind of church that every pastor wishes they could pastor. It was just a great, great church. And part of that had to do with the leadership. And one of the people that was there, a key figure who was involved in the early development and then the the later life of the church, is this man, uh, Barnabas. In the story, as we've been following Luke, telling the story of early Christianity, we have met with Barnabas already on a, a couple of occasions. And let me remind you a little bit about that. So the first, the first time Barnabas shows up in the story is in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. At the very end of the chapter, it says this. It says, uh, and Joseph, that was his birth name, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is our first introduction to him. Now notice Barnabas is really like a nickname. Uh, His actual name was Joseph, but he was nicknamed Barnabas because he was an encourager and the name means son of encouragement. We see Barnabas again in the ninth chapter and there we read concerning Saul, Saul of Tarsus who had just recently become a 
believer after having been a persecutor. It says in the ninth chapter, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how Saul had seen the Lord on the road. The Lord had spoken to Saul and how he, Saul, had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so now we come to the passage that we just read today, and the church in Jerusalem, they hear about all the exciting things happening in Antioch, and so they, they send Barnabas to Antioch. And so we read here, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So today I want us to focus in on this man, Barnabas, because Barnabas, like I said, he's really a picture of what every one of us should aspire to as individual followers of Christ and also of what our ethos should be as a community of believers in Jesus. So the word ethos means like our, our defining characteristic. So collectively as a congregation, you know, what, what, are, what are people going to sense when they come maybe and visit or they, they come and they're, they're here with us? What, what do they feel in the air? Well, what we want them to feel is this same kind of thing that Barnabas brought into the church in Antioch. And so as he comes there, being true to his nickname, Son of Encouragement, we read here that he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. So the word encouragement, here we have it uh, in the text. It comes from the Greek word parakaleo. So parakaleo is actually two words put together as one word. And it means, para means to come alongside and kaleo means to call or to urge. And so the word here translated encouragement is that word. Now, now this is a rich word that no one English word can adequately express. As a matter of fact, in our English translations, at least seven different words are used to translate this one word. So, so this is the thing about the Greek language. You know, sometimes we refer to Greek words or we talk about the Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek. And um, one of the things about the Greek language is it's, it's rich. And there are many more words in Greek than there are in English. So sometimes there's not one English word that's going to really adequately translate late what what the Greek word means so you need more than one word so like I said there's at least seven that we find in our English translations I want to give you four of those words and um, four English words and I think that these words will help give the full meaning of the word now these are words that we all know but have you ever had a moment where you you say a word or you write a word and you know the word and you use the word all the time, but all of a sudden you go like, wait, well, what, what does this word actually mean? 
You know, sometimes it's good to really kind of just think about these words. But the four words that I want us to consider are comfort, encourage, beseech, and exhort. So all of these words, with the exception of beseech, we don't really use that one too much, but the King James Version of the Bible translates this word, parakaleo, beseech, more than with any of the other Greek words. But, but let's think about these words for a moment. So we all know what the word comfort means, right? We, we know. We, we use that word frequently. But let's think about it for a moment. For a moment. So, so it means to assure. It, it means to cheer someone, say, who's downcast. Uh, it means to console. It means to soothe uh, someone who might be in pain. So those are synonyms for, for comfort. And then the word encourage. That's the English word that we have here. Encourage, the word itself actually means to inspire with courage. That's what the word encourage means. It means to hearten. It means to bear up. It means to embolden. So you can see with both of these words, they're words that, that speak of affirming and there are words that you could definitely connect to a loving tone. But then you've got beseech and exhort. And these words are a little bit different. So beseech means to appeal or to entreat or to implore or to plead. So those, those words are, are a bit stronger. And then the word exhort is even a, a little bit stronger. Exhort means to warn it means to urge strongly. It means to prod. It means to prompt. So how is it that all of these English words are used to translate this one Greek word? Well, you see, this, this is a word that is really communicating all of these things. And so when Barnabas encouraged them in Antioch, or when the apostles nicknamed him the son of encouragement, it was because this is what he brought when he came into a place. He brought the comfort. He brought the encouragement. He at times would beseech. He at times would exhort. I like the way Timothy Keller referred to the word. He said it's a, it's a strong, tender word. So it's a word that combines the ideas of love and truth combines both ideas. Paul expressed it in his letter to the Ephesians in this phrase, speaking the truth in love. So that's what Barnabas did. He was a person who spoke the truth in love. Now, True and effective gospel ministry in the church and even out to the world will happen as we do that same thing, as we parakaleo, if you want to just take that and make that a word now. You can use that word now in English. <laughs> like we use paralegal or paramedic, you know, it's so parakaleo. So it's to minister truth in love to one another, and also to those who are outside, those who do not yet know Christ. Now, this combination of love and truth is so important. They really must go as we seek to minister to each other 
And, and also, as we seek to bring the gospel to others, these, these two things really need to go hand in hand. John Stott said this, and I think he's accurate. He said, he said, love is soft if it's not strengthened by truth, and truth is hard if it's not softened by love. And so that's why it's important that both of these things are together. And, and this word, that, that's really, like I said, that's really what is being expressed here. That's the idea. So I want to talk about this parakaleo. I want to talk about this in the church first, and then I want to talk about it out in the world. And then finally, we want to see, you know, how does this just become a reality in our own lives? So first of all, parakaleo in the church, all believers are really called to this. So, so Barnabas had this this was just his unique gifting, but it wasn't limited to Barnabas. It was never intended to be limited to just one person. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 3, as well as chapter 10, we read there in chapter 3, we read, exhort one another daily, lest anyone be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then in chapter 10, verse 25, we read, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So exhort one another daily, exhorting one another. Those are the same words. Parakaleo is the, the word translated in both cases there. And so we see that the writer to the Hebrews was basically challenging the, the congregation to engage with one another in this type of ministry, in this ministry that is a blending of love and truth. Now, when it comes to speaking love and truth, we are often on one side or the other. You know, there are, for, for some people, they, they don't have any problem speaking truth. But when they speak it, it you know, it's, it's really hard. And, and oftentimes it's harsh. And so oftentimes you find that uh, we are either hardline people who are all about the truth and don't care if people are hurt or cut down, or... We are people who are so afraid of offending somebody else or hurting someone's feelings or we're afraid of what other people think about us that, that we refrain from telling people the truth. These are two fairly common attitudes. So parakaleo is... So, you know, it's taking the, the person who tends to be the hardline person and it's softening that with the love. And it's taking the person who just doesn't want to step on anybody's toes, he never wants to offend anybody, and it's given them the, the courage to be able to say what needs to be said. And, and this is the only way we are going to grow as the people of God, right? There are times when we need somebody to kind of give us a, like a holy, you know, slap in the face. You know, kind of just like wake us up. Like, oh, wow, yeah. Uh, and, you know, normally we don't appreciate it at the moment. But, you know, later on you think, wow, I, I'm really glad that that person did that. It really, 
it really got me to see something that I wasn't seeing. But then, of course, there are those times, too, when, when somebody needs someone else to just come alongside and, and just be there to comfort and just be there to really encourage. And so parakaleo, I like this definition, is a sympathetic, loving insistence on the truth. It is just the right mixture of love and truth. So that's what we're talking about here. It's just the right mixture uh, of these two things. But it's a sympathetic, that's the para, the loving, that's the para, but then the kaleo is insistence on the truth. So we're not going to back down from the truth. We're not going to be flexible when it comes to truth. Truth is truth. And we, we've got to stand firm on truth. But we're going to do that in a sympathetic and a loving fashion. And, and of course, there are times when one might outweigh the other. There are times when the, you know, the, the parakaleo will be better understood as an exhortation, a warning, a prodding, an urging. And then there are times when it will be better understood or, or experienced as, as a comfort, as an encouragement. So again, remember Barnabas, he brings this into the church in Antioch. And he brings this into the church and it has, a, it has an impact on the church. But it doesn't only impact the church. We read that and many more were added to the church as a result of of the ministry of Barnabas there. So it didn't just stay within the walls of the church, but it actually, you know, it, it, it transferred outside. And of course, God is wanting to do two things. He's wanting to build us up and to bless us as his people through this encouragement ministry But as he does that, he wants it to have an impact on the outside as well. He wants us to transfer from our gatherings. He wants it to reach out to the world. So that brings us to looking at the parakaleo uh, toward those who are outside the church. And this is so important at the present time. So important. You know, there, there are times in life, there are times in history, even where you know there, there's a certain environment or a certain atmosphere that you find yourselves in. And in order to be effective ministers of the gospel in those atmospheres, sometimes we have to make certain kinds of adjustments. And we have to, you know, you might use the word recalibrate. We have to recalibrate toward, it's a different, mood uh, today than it was, you know, maybe 25 years ago or, or something like that. And that's very much the case for us today. So we are living in what you might call the post-truth era. So post-truth, this is now a thing. You can even read about it. The Oxford Dictionary had it as the word of the year a couple years ago. So what is post-truth? Post-truth is basically, if it's true for you, then it's true. That's what post-truth is. So it doesn't matter if it's actually true. Like we used to think truth was based on facts. So these certain facts are a reality, which then make this thing true. Post-truth says, well, 
None of that really matters anymore. I think it's true. I feel it's true. Therefore, it is true. That's the world that we are living in today. So since that's the world that we're living in today, we've got to know how to navigate this world. We're living at the time that the apostles warned about when people would reject the truth in favor of fables. And, and we see this happening all around us today. So what are we to do? Well, we, we God's people, people who are followers of Christ, we can't go with the current post-truth attitude. We know that there's truth. Because for one, our Savior said he is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So, so we can't jettison truth like others are doing. No, we've got to stand firm on the truth. We've got to stand firm on it. We've got to live according to it. And we also have to proclaim it. And we have to, at times, push back against the post-truth mentality that we find ourselves in. So we must continue to speak the truth, but listen, we must do it wisely and winsomely. So we're living in a time now, it's, it's different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, even five years ago. It's a different time. There's a, there's a different atmosphere. But we have the same task of speaking the truth. But we have to do it in such a way that people are going to hear it. Now, if, if our approach to speaking the truth is that, that hard line, harsh, in your face, this is the truth, whether you like it or not, you know, we might be speaking the truth, but guess what? Nobody's listening. They, they just tune you out. They're just like, you know, they're, they're not going to hear a single word. Now, if we're speaking the truth, but nobody's hearing it, that's a problem. So, so we've got to do our best to make sure that we're communicating the truth in such a way that people, even those who would tend to not want to hear it, have at least somewhat of an openness. And, and that will come as we speak the truth wisely and, and winsomely. So it's not a compromising of the truth, but it's actually just adopting methods where we're going to be able to really truly get people to listen to what we're saying. And it comes down to things like our tone and our demeanor. We must reflect Christ's love as we tell people the truth of the gospel. That's what we have to do. That's the challenge that we have today. And we can meet that challenge if we are adopting the, the, Barnabas, the Barnabas spirit, if you will. Join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. So one of my favorite books over the past couple years was a book called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Fantastic book. Well, she has made sort of a children's version of the book. It's called 10 Questions Every Teen 
should ask and answer about Christianity. She did such an amazing job with the Confronting Christianity book. It was actually the book of the year. I know that this one is excellent as well. So I want to encourage you, especially if you have teenage children, to pick it up for them, read it along with them. If you are a school teacher, you interact with young people and you want to know how to help them, this will be a tremendous resource. So 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, my recommendation for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to help you equip the next generation to wrestle with the challenges raised against Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.